message today. I know we have many announcements, and I'm so glad those first two weren't me. Although, Jay Vernon McGee is a great Bible teacher. I, I love Jay Vernon, and may I say to you, I love Jay Vernon. He's always saying, may I say to you. Luke 19, we're continuing in our series today, The Stops of Jesus. And while you're turning to Luke 19, to one of my favorite stories, I do want to say Wednesday nights. We're going to begin, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, a series through Genesis Beginnings. We're calling it, actually calling the series, Roots. Roots. And if you've ever wondered about the creation of the world, creation of the universe, evolution versus creationism, where we came from, where it all came from, we need to look at the book of beginnings. It's going to be a great series. Luke 19, verse 1, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. But could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, that is the crowd, saw it, they all complained. Can you imagine a complaining crowd? I can't imagine saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Oh, Jesus has gone into the house of a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord in the house, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone else by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come. Why? To seek and to save what has been lost. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to talk to you today. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Turn to your neighbor and just preach a minute and say, I believe you're going to be blessed today. We do have more chairs out. We put more chairs out to make room for more people. So I want to encourage you, keep bringing people. We're putting chairs out, and we're growing, so keep bringing them. I, uh, and these, this message, or this series on the stops of Jesus, in this message today, I want to just call this the short man with a tall question. The short man with a tall question. The story is told, and I've told this at many funerals, but it's a great story, and I want to tell it again today. The great evangelist, D.L. Moody, who preached all throughout uh, England and America in the 1800s. He was really the first man to experience or to experiment with mass evangelism inside structures. He had halls built, and he would go to great auditoriums and fill them with people. He was sort of a precursor to what we know as the Billy Graham types, D.L. Moody. And he was holding a crusade in London. And, of course, the building was packed before he ever arrived. And there was a little boy. This is a true story. It's in any biography of Moody's that you read. There was a little boy 
from the poor side of town, the other side of the tracks, who wanted to hear Moody. And so his home being far away from the place Moody was going to preach, he started out that morning and he walked for hours and hours to get to the structure of the building where Moody was preaching. And when he arrived there, it was already filled to capacity. When he went in, he was immediately told by fire officials, it's too full, there's too many people, you're going to have to go away. And he began to weep. He was about 12 years old, according to the story. The little boy told these people, I've walked all this way to hear Mr. Moody. Please find me a place. They said, son, I'm sorry, there is no place. You're going to have to go. Dejectedly, the little boy walked outside. He was so upset he leaned up against the wall of the building and stooped down and he began to cry. Right about then, a horse and buggy pulled up and a large man wearing coattails got out and began to walk into the building and saw the little boy. As he was walking in, he stopped and he turned to the boy and he leaned down and said, Son, what's wrong? He said, I've come all this way to hear Mr. Moody I wanted to hear him preach. I've heard about him. And I wanted to hear what he had to say about Jesus. And the man said, I'll tell you what. When I stand up, you grab my coattail. And you follow me. And the little boy didn't know what to do. And so he just stood up. And the man walked through the door. And the little boy holding on to the coattail. The man walked in. And instead of turning right to the audience, he turned left. And walked up on stage, the little boy holding the coattail. He walked the little boy over to a chair and seated him. And then walked up to the crowd and began to address the crowd and told the story of this little boy. And the man said, this little boy could not get into this building of his own authority. He couldn't get in of his own name. He had to grab my coattails to get in. Right about then, the little boy realized that the man was the D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody said, but I have brought him into a place he could never have gotten without me. And I've seated him in a place of honor he would have never sat if it had not been for me. And then Moody said to the crowd, that's just like it is with Jesus. When we get to heaven, it'll be because we grabbed his coattail. It'll be because... We came in under the name of somebody that got us into a place we could have never gone, seated us in a place we would have never sat, and let us experience honor and glory we would have never known had it not been for him. And then he gave the invitation, and hundreds of people there in London came to Jesus Christ, not because of the steps of Moody, but because of the stop of D.L. Moody. We hear so often of the steps of Jesus... One book out now is entitled 12 Steps with Jesus. And then there's another popular book that's called In the Steps of Jesus. And you know, every year at Easter time, the Passion Play is enacted all around the world, retracing the steps of Jesus. But I want us to focus for a few weeks now on the stops of Jesus. The stops of Jesus. Because that one stop of D.L. Moody's was more monumental, more earth-shaking, more influencing than all the steps he took that night. And I find the stops of Jesus fascinating. Who were the people that Jesus stopped for? What made the Son of God stop 
What caught his attention, tugged on his heart, stirred his compassion? What made God in human flesh stop and minister to people? Last week we looked at the woman with an issue. The woman with an issue. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to get that tape. It's touched a whole lot of people. Matter of fact, I had a call this week about somebody who had heard about what I preached. Didn't even hear it, but they heard about it. And they said, you know what? I want that tape. I want to hear about the stops of Jesus. I want to know that he'll stop for me. Can I tell you something today, church? Jesus will stop for you. So today I want to look at Zacchaeus, the short man with a tall question. Zacchaeus. Now the Bible tells us in the book of Luke, and that's the only of the Gospels that tells his story, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, that he was rich, and that he was short of stature. That's what we're told about Zacchaeus. We're told by Luke that Jesus was passing through Jericho on his way to Bethany. He was a Lord on a mission. He was on his way to Bethany. Why was he going to Bethany? Because he had heard the call of two sisters, Mary and Martha, who had said, our brother is sick. Jesus knew that he had already died. Jesus was passing through Jericho, which was a city established on a curse. Isn't it good to know that a city established on a curse would be visited by Jesus who came to remove the curse from us? And so he was going through Jericho. He was headed to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he was on a mission. There were big things on the mind of Jesus. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was. Now here he is. He's rich. He's got the life of Riley. He's got more money than most people in his day. He's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. And somewhere, somehow, in his world of finery, and splendor and comfort he heard about Jesus and it tugged on his heart we don't know what it was about Jesus that he heard but it says that Zacchaeus decided that he wanted to see who Jesus was the Bible says Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was now I looked at this uh, for a little bit and uh, studied several different things to find out what was really going on in his mind as best I could and here's what I found in the original Greek language, it doesn't just say he sought to see who Jesus was like we would a celebrity sighting. Like if I told you right now, some of you ladies, if I said Brad Pitt is down there at the Chili's on University, I think a few of you would scoot over there just to have a celebrity sighting. I'm not talking about a celebrity sighting. He didn't want to see Jesus purely out of curiosity to see the famous man he had heard about. No, the Greek Bible reads like this. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who he is. He wanted to know not just what he looked like, but he wanted to know who he was. Something about Jesus. Can you say with me, there is just something about Jesus? There is something about Jesus. There is something that pulls on our heartstrings about Jesus. There is something drawing about Jesus. Something speaks to us deep down, and something about Jesus had struck a chord, spoken to something deep inside, and had created a hunger in this man Zacchaeus, not just to see him, but Zacchaeus wanted to know him. He wanted to know him. 
He wanted to know who he was. Can I tell you something today, church? Our culture doesn't know it, but they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. They want to know who Jesus is. I believe they're looking for him in all the wrong places, and that's why we need churches who stand up and make it crystal clear he is the Son of God, he was the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world, he's the answer to your heart's cry, he is the deepest the deepest answer to your deepest need. There is something about Jesus. One day Philip was approached by some Greek men who said the same thing. Sir, we know you know him. We would see Jesus. I hear something in people today. They might as well just say it. We want to see what you say you saw. We want to see Jesus. We want to know the love of Jesus. We want to know the reality of Jesus. Can I tell you something today? He's more real to me than this stage I'm standing on, more real to me than this Bible I hold in my hand. He's more real to me than this building we now sit in, Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. He's the great shepherd. He's so real. There is something about Jesus. And people everywhere are wanting to know about Jesus. They want to know if he's real. There is, listen, there is no, it is not, it is not just something that has happened, it's not happenstance that Larry King on CNN, as he ages, as he approaches the grave, is having more and more and more representatives of Jesus Christ on his show. And every time he has one of them on, he says, now is this really real to you? Do you really believe that? And I'm telling you, I'm glad that he's getting some people on there who are saying, yes, I do believe it. I know that he's real. Larry, there is a God. He sent his only begotten son. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He's Lord of lords, King of kings. And I got good news, Larry. He's coming again. Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, there were two things that were hindering Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And you can't miss this when you read the story. Two things were hindering him. First, his wealth was hindering him. You say, now, Pastor Jeff, are you saying wealth is wrong? No, wealth isn't wrong at all. It's what you do with it. And it's whether you have it or it has you. But we know that wealth was a problem for Zacchaeus because in verse 8, it tells us that Zacchaeus admitted to Jesus to having loved money so much that he had falsely accused people of tax debt as the chief tax collector. He had falsely accused people of tax debt to steal their money. And he knew when Jesus came into his house that Jesus knew everything and he knew what he had done. And Jesus knows what you've done and what I've done. He knows what the whole world is doing. The eye of God is in every place beholding the evil and the good. He knew and he admitted to Jesus stealing money from people. So we know that money was keeping him from the truth. But also, the crowd he was in. The crowd he was in, because he was short, prevented his seeing Jesus. And I read that, and I thought, oh, how true that is. Because, folks, how often it is a fact that the crowd you run with keeps you from seeing Jesus. Now, can I just meddle a little bit? Can I just meddle a little bit? I'm going to meddle a little bit. Thank you for your permission. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway i got to tell you something. I saw this and I saw an illustration. Here is Zacchaeus. He's short of stature. Every one of them. There is not a person in here tall enough on the inside 
to see Jesus if you're running with a crowd that drags you down. There is not a person among us tall enough to see above a crowd that is dragging us down if we're trying to see Jesus. Do you know that one of the devil's greatest tools against people finding Jesus are those you're running with, those you're fellowshipping with, those you're spending time with? Hear me today, folks. It is so crucial that you run with people, spend time with people who love God, who sharpen you spiritually, who if you start to do wrong will say, hey, what are you doing? They'll look at you and call sin, sin, good, good, and bad, bad. The crowd was keeping him from seeing Jesus. I can't tell you how many people I've seen who were trapped in a crowd, trapped in a group of people that were dragging them down. Their morals became their morals. Their thoughts became that person's thoughts. If you're running with somebody who is lost, if you're running with people, even lukewarm Christians will drag you down. Their attitudes become yours. Their problems, yours. Their griefs, yours. Their habits become yours. That's why I'm telling you, five years from now, who you are five years from now depends on who you run with and what you read. Where do you want to be five years from now? Do you want to be glorifying God? Do you want to be walking with the Lord? Do you want to be praising Him? Do you want to be spiritually sharp? Do you want to be walking in the center of His will? Then hear me today. Find people who want the same thing and stick to them like glue. Hang around them. Well, they're not my type. Well, make them your type. Now, I'm going to talk real straight with you. The Bible says that we are to befriend, that is, be friendly to sinners. Paul made it clear. You can't remove yourself from the world. You're going to work for sinful bosses. You're going to work around sinful people. You can't go build some hut on a hill on a mountain and become a monk in a monastery and check out of the world. We've been called to go into the world. But he says there's a difference between being friendly and loving to lost people and running with them. When they say, you want to come with us to thus and so, say, you know what, I really can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, then you're holier than that. Let them say whatever they want to say. Let me tell you something. The minute you take a stand for God, something inside of them goes, eh, eh, ooh, I know that's true. But if you do what they do, go where they go, say what they say, talk like they talk, how are they ever going to know that one day the hand of Jesus walked down into your darkness, grabbed hold of you, pulled you into the light, dusted you off, washed you in the blood, filled you with the Holy Ghost, and set you on the path of righteousness. You've got to set yourself apart. Paul the Apostle asked the question, what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship? How can you, walking in the light, fellowship, that is, run with darkness, He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, you know what a yoke is. If I have two oxen right here and I yoke them, it's when you put that wooden device around their necks that is attached where when one of them moves, the other's got to move. Where that one moves, the other's got to move. If that one goes forward, the other's got to go forward. Wherever one goes, the other has to go. That's yoked. What one of them eats, the other one's got to eat because he carries you off to the grass he's going to eat. So whoever you're running with, you're going to eat what they eat. You're going to go where they go. You're going to say where they, what they say. You're going to be yoked to them. And he says, what fellowship does light? You're, if you're saved, an oxen, and you're running around with the lost, you're yoked to a mule. 
And I mean mule by stubborn, rebellious, and resistant to the truth. And the Bible says it'll drag you down. Now I'm talking to believers now, but the Bible says it'll drag you down. And Zacchaeus' problem was, I can't see above this crowd. This crowd is preventing me from seeing the one that for some reason my heart wants to see. It's the crowd. It's this crowd. It's these people. Well, Pastor Jeff, you don't know me. I'm super strong as a believer. I can get around anybody, anytime. They won't drag me down, brother. I'll pull them up. Oh, really? Will you really? Careful. Because my Bible says, don't get yoked with them. You have no fellowship with them. If you want to preserve your spiritual life, your spiritual integrity, your purity of mind, your purity of heart, your ethics, your morals, the values God has given you, you can't yoke to unbelievers and survive it. I just heard somebody in here who doesn't walk with the Lord. Wow, listen to that. He's just, he's just talking like some self-righteous, right-wing religious zealot. Well, I am zealous. I don't know about right-wing. I do know I found the right one. The right one found me. You want to call me a zealot? I hope I'm a zealot. I hope I'm zealous for him. I hope I'm fiery for him. My gosh, everybody, everything in the world is coming out of the woodwork in our day, coming out on TV, and they're as zealous as they can be for everything under the sun. Can't we get out there and be zealous for the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Get out there and be zealous for Him? Come on now. Hang around them for a while and start watching your language. Start watching the way you think. Start watching your attitudes, I guarantee you. It's catching. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals, and it certainly does. So in order to see Jesus, the Bible says Zacchaeus had to distance himself from the crowd. It says in the Bible, he ran ahead of them. He ran ahead of them, and he says, man, I just, I just got to see Jesus. You know, if you've got that attitude, he's going to find you. He's going to find you. Some of you said, man, I've looked for God. I can't find God. Let me tell you something. If your heart is to find God, he will find you. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Because I know that Jesus was surrounded by a massive, teeming, pressing crowd. I know that he had on his mind the resurrection from the dead of a man whose family he had visited often and he loved. And yet, he's walking along with this teeming crowd around him, being pressed, voices everywhere, and suddenly Jesus stopped. I'm telling you, the stop of Jesus gives me Holy Ghost bumps. Because how did he know? I'll tell you how he knew. Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how he knew. And, and he stopped. He's stepping all the way to Bethany. He stopped. And he looked up. And don't you know that short, rich tax collector sitting in the sycamore tree just wanted to see who he was? Don't you know that when Jesus stood still, his heart stood still when he looked up at him and said his name? We don't find anybody 
introducing Zacchaeus to Jesus, nor do we hear of Jesus saying, hey, who's that up there in that tree? He knew. He knows everybody who seeks after him. He knows the name of every person in this room. He knows where you were last night, what you're thinking right now, and where you're going this afternoon when church is out. He knows the end from the beginning. He is very God. we got to know who we're dealing with here. He was not some tiptoe through the tulips, tiny Tim hippie in the first century. He was God in flesh. Come on, everybody. He was God. Here's Zacchaeus. He's up there hanging on to a couple of limbs looking down. Here he comes. He says, oh, that must be him. That must be him. I guess that's him because they're all around him. Suddenly, Zacchaeus. No looking behind you there or you're in a tree. I know who he's talking to. Don't you know? That arrested his heart. Don't you know? That froze him. Don't you know? He couldn't believe his ears. Zacchaeus. I know your name. And you know what? When he calls you, he calls you by name. Zacchaeus didn't say one word. Jesus said, hurry up. Now, I want you to hear me on this one. Hurry up, Zacchaeus. Come down. Because today is your day. Today is your day. Today, Zacchaeus, I'm stopping for you. I'm stopping because as God, I know you want to know who I am. I'm stopping because I want to bring a blessing to your house. I'm stopping because I want to save your soul. I'm stopping because I want to answer your question. I'm stopping because I want to make a difference in your life. I'm stopping because I want to trade your God from money to me. I'm stopping because I'm going to change your life, Zacchaeus. This is your day. Zacchaeus, come down and hurry up because I'm not going to be here tomorrow and I wasn't here yesterday. This is your hour, your moment, your season, your day, your time. This is it. Come now. Hurry up, Zacchaeus. Now, i got to tell you something, folks. There is a today. There is a today for all of us. There is a day of visitation. There is a season when God comes into our lives. I'll never forget when it happened to me. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I was a teenager. I was in the juvenile home for sale of narcotics. 16 years old. Lost. Didn't know anything about God. All I knew about Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ Superstar, the song that I heard on the radio and I liked the tune. I was not raised in church. I had never been presented with the gospel. But some people came into the juvenile home. Fifty of us or so got into a room. Pool table was there in the juvenile home. We gathered around this man who looked as square as a box to me. Stood up, but music came out of his mouth because he said the name Jesus Christ, and he shared the gospel. And when he was done sharing the gospel, telling us that God knew everything we'd ever done, that he loved us and wanted to change us through his son, Jesus Christ, 
Nobody responded. And he began to pack up his guitars with a couple of young people that had uh, come there with him. And they began to walk out. And something spoke to me. I didn't even know what the Holy Ghost was. But something spoke to me and said, This is your hour. You may not have another one. There is a day of visitation, folks. We've got to understand this. I think there is no mistake that Jesus said, today i got to come to your house. Today is the day of visitation for you, Zacchaeus. And I want you to hurry up. When God calls, you don't sit there and debate it. You don't wonder about it. You don't wonder if it's a good idea or a bad one. You don't delay. You hurry towards Him when He calls you. And I know I'm talking to some people right now in this room and who are going to hear this by tape. You know your hour of visitation is upon you, that God is telling you to get out of something or to get into something or to take some step in your life. Don't delay, because there's a day. There's a day. There is a day. It's pivotal. It's the day your whole life changes. It's the day God has His way in your life. And, and, and I knew if I didn't get up and walk out, and give my heart to Christ and respond to what I had just heard, darkness waited for me. So I responded in the, the hour, the day of visitation. And listen, God has not changed. He said, today, Zacchaeus, today. I'm going to be at your house today. I'm going to be in Bethany tomorrow. I'm going to be raising a dead man tomorrow. I'm going somewhere else, but I am giving you time because I know your heart, and I know you're a man with a question. And any time we earnestly seek God with a question... God earnestly answers us. And so it says, Zacchaeus made haste. I mean, he didn't, he, he looked for the nearest limb, got down, and I like the way one preacher put it, Zacchaeus was saved from the top of the tree to the ground. Because the minute he responded to the today beckoning of Jesus, something happened in his heart. We know it because we see it in the Word of God. Oh, folks, let me tell you something. There is a today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation. But if he calls today, you respond today. Because if he calls you today, he knows you can do it today. He knows you can answer him today. He knows you can step towards him today. He knows he's given you the grace to go towards him today. There is something beautiful and powerful about today. I'm stopping today. Zacchaeus, I've stopped. It says he hurried and came down. And just like the crowd, they booed him, booed Jesus, criticized the whole thing. And all kinds of people in your life will criticize you if you become a zealot for Jesus. We're in a world full of zealots. We need some real ones. And he took Jesus and quickly went into his house, and they're all sitting at the table. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. The day you let Jesus into your house... Hear me on this one. He wants to come into your house. How are there one divorce out of every two marriages in America? We need Jesus in the house. And if you're divorced and remarried, don't be condemned by what I say. Just start where you are and let him into the house. But he let him into the house. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, wrapped in flesh, come from heaven to earth to walk among us and die for our sins, sat down at his house. Now Zacchaeus' question is answered because he says, 
Lord, I know who you are. I know by what he addressed him as that his question had already been answered from the tree to the ground. Because he said, Lord, you know. And he said, if I've taken, and there was a fancy way of saying I have taken. When people use ifs, a lot of times it's a confession. He said, if I have taken anything wrongly, translated, I have taken things wrongly, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to restore them sevenfold or fourfold. I'm going to give them back fourfold what I wrongly took. And, and I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Jesus stood up in his house on that day when he stopped. And he said, today, 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 because he seized his moment today. Salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus and his whole household were saved. Oh, let me tell you something, folks. If you got a question, Jesus will stop for you. This was a man with a question. You think he knew when he climbed that sycamore tree that that day this famous man he'd heard about would stop? And not just stop, but stunningly go into his house with him, sit at his table with him, and redeem his soul? Mm -mm. That's why I tell you, you have no idea what is in store. If you allow the stop of Jesus in your life to count, Zacchaeus had no idea what was in store for him when he said, oh, I'll be right down. He had no idea when he decided to look for Jesus that Jesus would stop for him, would call him by his name, come into his house and redeem his life. You have no idea when Jesus called what he's going to do with you. You have no idea. But I'll tell you this, it's better than anything the enemy of your soul got for, for you. He'll redeem you, call you, brush you off, fill you with the Holy Ghost, give you a future, work out his destiny for your life, carry you into glory one day, and there you'll be forever and ever. And don't you know you will thank God a million times, a million times over that when he stopped, you responded. Can we stand together today? Can you stay with me? The stops of Jesus are powerful. If I respond to him, is Jesus passing by your life right now? Is Jesus passing by? Has he been speaking to you about something in your life? I know he has. I know he's been speaking to me about some things in my life, and I do know this. He won't always debate with you or haggle with you about it. You respond or you let it go. And you always regret that you let it go. What if Jesus talking to you about? What do you know the Holy Ghost is nudging you about? You need wisdom, knowledge, understanding? Are you in some sin he's talking to you about, calling you out of? Oh, if I were you, I'd respond today. 